welcome. Legally Brief presents Changing Our Institutions. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer who works with private and public companies, educational institutions, and sports organizations to identify root causes, confront historic failures, and boldly implement change to our institutions. This podcast is for corporate change agents, disruptors, and mindset mavericks who are committed to making our institutions work better for themselves and the next generation. I want to remind you that while I hope you enjoy every episode in the series that we're doing on changing our institutions, the content of this programming is not a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes or information, please head on over to my website. There you'll find information and you can sign up for newsletters and you can learn more about me and my practice. I'm glad you're here. Let's get ready and let's talk and make some changes. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today, during our series, as we talk about internal investigations and the issues that come up during the course of these investigations, we're going to focus on the types of bias that may come into play when conducting an investigation. There are several types of bias. What we're going to focus on during this discussion is implicit bias and confirmation bias. And we're going to anchor this conversation around another grab from the headlines, and in this case, reported by Law 360, a case involving the University of Pacific, which is a California institution, and the termination of an employee, Nicole Bias. So let's jump right in, and I'll tell you a little bit about the facts of this case, and then we'll talk about the different types of bias. So Nicole Shaw worked at the University of Pacific, She was terminated. Subsequent to that, she filed a lawsuit alleging discrimination and harassment under the California Fair Employment Housing Act. Pursuant to the complaint, Ms. Shaw's complaint, she said that she had worked at the university as a public safety officer beginning in October 2020. And four years before that employ, she had changed her gender and her name. Now, in spite of doing this prior to working to the university, once she started working there and she also introduced herself as a woman, it stated that in the complaint that she was continually misgendered. She was required to use a men's locker room. She complained to the HR department and in retaliation, she was assigned to less desirable work and received little to no assistance from her supervisors. There were also some allegations that she had voiced other concerns um, to management. And because of that, her employment ended in February of 2021. Now, so the lawsuit is filed. And so we're going to talk about this implicit bias showing up in two ways in this fact pattern. And we're going to come back to this. The first is what will speculate and surmise may have happened during Ms. Shaw's employment at the university. But then also, let's I wanted to bring this out to you, and this is another way that we see 
some type of bias could have or may have shown up is that during the course of the discovery process, so people are lawyered up, Ms. Shaw has a lawyer, the university has a lawyer, and interrogatories are served. So these questionnaires are served on Ms. Shaw and her attorney. And the questions that were presented to Ms. Shaw included questions as to her gender identity, her genitalia, and her medical history. Now, the judge in this case, Judge Carnow, wrote that these interrogatories, which are served on Ms. Shaw, served no legitimate expectation and no purpose, and instead were done to oppress, annoy, and harass Ms. Shaw. The judge brought out that it wasn't as if Ms. Shaw went through this gender reassignment during her employment, but in fact, it had happened four years prior, and that she, after getting the job, had always presented to be. So why was this even an issue? Why were these interrogatories even brought up as part of this? And so the judge did not like it, instructed that Ms. Shaw did not have to answer these questions, and in fact, issued fines against opposing counsel. Let's talk a little bit about, let's define implicit bias. Now, that's when we have assumptions that we make, usually very quickly, within a split second. The mind works fast. The mind likes to process, put things in categories. The mind is efficient. And that's how we end up, part of the reasons why we end up with these biases that we carry around with us. So it's assumptions that we make about the social identities. And that could be identities based on race, age, your sexual orientation, your religion. And it can be done when we talk about implicit, it's without your awareness, without, your, without you being conscious. And it really goes a long way to shaping the judgments that we make about individuals, about their character. In this case, first with the university, again, speculation, have not spoken, haven't talked to anyone based on the allegations of Ms. Shaw's complaint that although she presented and introduced herself under one identity, she was misidentified. She was assigned to a male's locker room. These biases turn up and are the basis of discrimination. Some Some would argue, I spoke with one psychologist at Ohio State University who was in one school of thought that there are no such thing as implicit biases. And in fact, all biases are explicit and that most individuals are aware of them. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, because when we speak about biases in general and specifically implicit biases, I personally believe, and I want to give my other individuals, other fellow humans, the benefit of the doubt, that our biases spring out of your background, family history, culture, traditions. Many times we live in our own bubble or fishbowl. And your first awareness as to a bias is when you go outside of those areas. You go outside of your family of origin. You're now in a, a job setting. You're in a college, you go away to college. And you realize that the ways that you were raised, the things that you were taught, maybe it's a religious tradition. You realize that there's differing opinions. There's differing lifestyles that are neither good 
nor bad. They're just different. And you start to think, huh, that bias, that that way of thinking is not only closed-minded and harmful to myself, it's harmful to others. And more importantly, we have laws that legislate against these biases that when they are become a pattern, become a practice in business settings, they expose companies to liability. And on a micro sense, they cause harm, they cause hurt. And that's not what we're here to do. So that's what an implicit bias is. And one can see how in the case with the university that it may have been these implicit biases that individuals are unconscious of, supervisors, employees, fellow team members are unconscious of that may have served as the basis of Ms. Shaw's complaint. When we get to the level, and before I get to that, let us let me define confirmation bias. A confirmation bias, it's when you have an individual has a way of selectively looking for, interpreting, or wanting to weigh information that you're processing, and you take it in and you interpret it in a way that supports a pre-existing belief, way of thinking. So let's take, for example, you may have heard of this called, it's a stereotype. You have a way of thinking about a specific type of person, culture, grouping of people. And because of that, when you see something that supports that, even though you may be misinterpreting it, aha, the mind jumps, it processes, and it confirms your pre-existing belief, albeit maybe an erroneous pre-existing belief. One extremely harmful pre-existing belief that I know was confirmed and Hollywood stories, the media, today's social media, does a absolute brilliant job at confirmation bias. In the 1980s and 90s, you first heard the term called welfare queen. And that was a term that was attributed to African-American mothers, women, based on the illusion, the lie that individuals were gaming the welfare system, that they did not want to work, that they had no desire internally or externally to be productive, that there were opportunities out there for African-American women to self-actualize, for there to get well-paying jobs to support their families. But instead of taking those opportunities, they decided to sit home, become pregnant, and then to file for government benefits. There were many movies, many stereotypes, and the word was actually coined. Now, what Hollywood and what stories and what (laughs) so many circles politicians did is that they fed into the culture's confirmation bias as to this stereotype and this belief about African-American women and mothers. So that's just one example of early on, I remember seeing that bias and how different storylines were used to confirm that erroneous and harmful belief. I digress. So going back to the case that we were talking about with Nicole Shaw, you see that a bias may have come in with after the litigation, after the lawsuit was filed, litigation is underway and 
these interrogatories, questions are drafted, they're served on Ms. Shaw. And instead of there being a focus on the harassment and the discrimination that occurred on the job, the interrogatories were, according to the allegations, were framed to focus on Ms. Shaw's genitalia and medical history. And that this court ruled, this California court ruled, was had no legitimate purpose but to oppress, annoy, and cause embarrassment. So we see there that that may be another instance where these biases crept in, caused a problem, one, caused hurt, two, caused monetary liability to individuals, and sets up a bad precedent. Because on a whole, as a culture, we seek to move away from these biases. And how do we move away? So I have a course that I teach regarding bias. It includes discussion on bias. And one of the most effective ways when you're thinking about how do I, as an investigator, how do I address this issue of bias? You have every intention on conducting a full, fair, and impartial investigation. But how do you do it if all of us, myself included, if we carry these biases? How do we do that? How do we stay away and ensure that we don't allow your implicit or your confirmation bias to seep in? This is the key. It is a constant awareness. It is slowing down in the questioning process of a witness. It is thinking about the drafting questions. It is literally putting on two lenses and also to have a system where if you're on an investigative team, you're having another individual review your questions or you're talking out your questions with another individual because the only way to combat a bias is awareness. So you have to question yourself. Why am I phrasing it like that? It's also, you know, internally saying to yourself, I'm maybe you've gotten some reports and you're reading it over. Be honest with yourself and saying, this is my preconceived notion. Why do I have it? And what do I do to ensure that I can ask questions, write final reports and make recommendations that are free from the biases that you carry with you? So that to me is the key. I'd love to hear if someone else has an alternative to how do we recognize and how do we confront biases, but awareness is the key. Because if you think about it, when we define the very notion of implicit bias, a key element to that is the assumptions that are based without your awareness. So what is the opposite of that? How do we act contrary to that implicit bias? It's by having awareness. And some would argue, you know, I, <laughs> I'll throw this out there. It's part of my daily practice and my ritual, spending moments in silence, spending moments in meditation. It helps you as a person. It's helped me in my practice in general. And it's helped me become aware of and bias because you have to, it's your job, it's your duty to conduct investigations that are fair and impartial. So I've enjoyed, I enjoy, you know, thinking about and understanding and learning more about these different types of bias and how they show up. Survey any crowd, 
any group, a friend group, colleagues at a conference, you're talking to someone about the types of bias, and everybody will have a story about how someone else's bias hurt them, you know, was of or some type of different levels may have violated an actual law and how, you know, this is detrimental to business, is detrimental to life. Become aware of our bias personally, become aware of them and how they show up in your internal investigations and how they turn up when you're managing caseloads and managing your practice. I enjoyed this conversation. Keep it going. Remember to leave a comment and I love to read those comments and I'll get back to you. As always, be well and take care until our next episode. information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.